We got our lighters ready. There we go. Good. All of our lighters are ready to go. You know the show is going to be good when we start off laughing at the very beginning of the show. Welcome to Pot Smoking Moms. I am your host, Sunny D, along with homegirl Captain J. Hello. She is the lighter tester, apparently, today. Uh, we are a podcast of talk about parenting and we talk about uh, cannabis. So if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, share our podcast with all your friends and on social media. Uh, potsmokingmoms.com go there find all of our social media accounts and just be friends with us and bombard us with stuff we uh, love hearing from you guys please reach out jay now that everybody knows all of our lighters work (laughs) what are you smoking today i am smoking from truly sunset sherbet kush mint and indica flower it's at 26 percent 26.4 what do I got? I got bubblegum strain. Mm. That's it's a hybrid, right? It's a hybrid. It's coming in at 18.75. And let me tell you something. After talking to Liv for our interview the other day, yeah. Matt, I, I cannot later. get my nose out of all of my weed. Yeah, you got to smell everything. Get those terps. Get those terps to get acquainted with your nose and tell you what you want. That's right. We're going to hear a little bit more about that later on in the show. Uh, if, you're, if you have something to smoke, by all means, please join us. Cheers. We got new bongs, bruh. Well, right now, you're hitting your new bong. Mine's at home. Oh, that's right. Mm. But yes, we got new bongs. D got a nice beaker from uh, Glass Warehouse. Yeah, bad. I feel like I, I feel like I stole it. <laughs> I got a really good price on it. It's a nice, it's a nice bong. Glass Warehouse. And you use the CMG, the CMG discount code. Discount code. Yeah. yeah. We should tell them to give us a discount code so we could share that too, as well with our. Everybody's a fan of the glass warehouse. La Madrina. Yes. Is the one who introduced us and everybody's been ordering some shit off their site. So And I've been cool. in, I've been admiring her beautiful <laughs> yeah. bubbler bong for like weeks now. And I've been like, because she always tags the glass warehouse when she smokes out of it. And I've been freaking looking for it on their website. And I'm like, Laura, I can't find it on their website. What is this bong called? I can't find it. She's like, oh, they don't have it anymore on their website. Yeah. And honestly, it's this is I'm not I do not like searching and searching and searching and searching and searching on websites. Me either. Yeah. This was on the first page and I was like, oh, this is a good price. Oh, this is a good size. OK, uh, let's go for it. <laughs> what is that? Uh, like it's 12, a 12 inch, 12 yeah, inches? which I think is like perfect. Yeah. Anything bigger than that is not, I mean, I'm not that person. No, I can't. This bubbler, it's not that big, but it's deceiving because it's so curvy. Uh-huh. And I can't clear it. It's it's too much. And yeah. um, I 
thanks to Laura, she was actually very generous and sent me one. I, I was a very Christmas surprised. Gifts. Sent it's each one actually. Yeah, she we got we got gifted some really nice stuff from Canna Mom Gang. Yeah, that they was always a take sweet, care of us. Sweet surprise. That was awesome. Yeah, because you know we always support each other. She supports us. We support yeah, them. she's we, like number one. We tell one everybody supporter. about them all the time. And yeah, so thank people you so much. People have been asking us so much about the onesies since we posted. Their I know <laughs> everybody I was like, loves those onesies. Com, check it out. Yeah, those are comfy and culty at the same time. So yeah. we can look culty. very comfy <laughs> and like we're, we all belong in a cult. We're in a gang together. We are. <laughs> this is. It's a cool cult, though, and it's not, you know, and it's non-committal, which is my favorite part. Like, you come and you go. We're not going to. We don't drink the Kool-Aid, though. We smoke the weed is what we do. (laughs) So, Christmas, have you done all your Christmas shopping? You know, I have, luckily. I did finish today. Uh, I did the order. I did the Target drive-up thing, and and I went today to go pick it up, and I saw everybody else did the Target drive-up thing. Yeah. Look, see, this is where I... I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to do that because the other week we went to Target and I, I asked my son and we just went through <laughs> the the different aisles and he just told us everything he wanted. We're like, oh, we're going to take a picture to send to Santa. So that's your that's your thing, right? That's that that's your little strategy. Yeah, he's, little it's technique. so funny it's because the, he's taking like taking pictures with your phone thing. Yeah. At the store. Yeah. Anytime he says he wants something, I was like, oh, we'll take a picture for it for your your Christmas list. And he's like, how does Santa get all those pictures and i was like well i, I send them Email to him them. i text them to him <laughs> and he's like you have santa's phone number i'm like yeah yeah and i open my phone and i do i have santa's number saved in my phone right. it's that it's that voicemail that uh-huh. you can call yeah I did and he flipped out he forgot about it i guess because we did it last year i guess he didn't remember um and he was like Whoa. he was like oh my god you have santa's number and i call it did he leave a voicemail of like what he wanted no no i was like we'll call back and leave a voicemail okay, when okay. you have time uh-huh. and i was like or we could just text them the pictures it's fine <laughs> yeah text works so i i've been seeing how like everybody does christmas a little differently i saw with this one mom share how in their family santa only gives one cool gift to each kid it's not a bad gift but it's not the best gift they get. But they get like one cool gift and all the other gifts come from mom and dad, come from them because they worked damn hard. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I'm not going to give all the credit to fucking Santa. This yeah. Santa guy doesn't pay any of our bills. Yeah. It's like they still get an that awesome sense, gift from but that's Santa. How we, that's how we do do it too. We'll do, well, my mom would label oh. packages as from Santa and then others from mom or dad yeah, yeah, yeah. or sister, brother, whatever. We would definitely give presents too, but a lot of the presents were coming from Santa. I think I'm going to start switching that up. <laughs> yeah. Fucking, uh, yeah. Well, but Santa gives all the coolest gifts. Like one year he gave the playground. One year he gave his computer. See, this is my thing. This year starts like serious business. Like we can't <laughs> fucking, we can't skip out on Christmas or get lazy anymore. We had to like, because... Your My girls are aware. Well, the three-year-old is definitely like really retaining aware. a lot of information these days. So we got to start kind of stepping our game up. So we got a couple little things we're going to do this year. It's it's exciting because we get to start doing the stuff. Yeah. The cookies thing. Yeah, leaving the cookies out. Yeah. Leave carrots out too for the reindeer. I don't know about all that. 
Why not? You because gotta be the reindeer. They're flying all night. They're the one pulling Santa all around. It, girl, if there's carrots <laughs> in the fridge, sure. But I'm not going to specifically buy carrots. Okay, celery or something. <laughs> you know there's always cookies in the house. So we got that covered. Oh, my God. But Elf on the Shelf. I haven't done that. Don't do it. Just no. don't. Because then you're, like, responsible. Yeah, then it's a Every commitment. night you got to move him. There's sometimes, like, I'm laying in bed. And I'm like, shit. Forgot to move the elf. <laughs> and he holds the elf accountable every day. Like, hey, where'd no, you know? This kid literally, as soon as he wakes up in the morning, it's the first thing he does. He literally jumps out of the bed, <laughs> runs out, and starts looking to see where the elf went. He loves it. So that part I love because it's so much fun to see how excited he gets. Yeah, and when they do goofy things. I have a friend who's super committed to the Elf on the Shelf, and her el- she makes him do some crazy nah, stuff. No, I can't get too crazy. We just, like, move him around and, and leave little notes with him and, like, do a couple fun ones, but nothing too crazy. Dude, if we started an Elf on the Shelf, <laughs> he'd just be fucking smoked out and sitting out and chilling. He's getting into our stash. <laughs> yeah, getting into our stash. Oh my gosh. We got a couple of little goodies uh we're sending out to our sponsors. Thank you so much. One of the things we're so thankful for this holiday season is for our sponsors, our patrons, people who contribute to our podcast, Lauren Hadsell, April Collins, Christy Rodriguez, Destiny Adams, Yanni Riz. We got some stuff we're working on. To send you, don't think you're going to get it by Christmas because we don't operate <laughs> like <laughs> we're not, we're professional, but we're not that professional. <laughs> maybe by the end of the year. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh huh. Maybe before the new year, you'll get your goodies. But um, yeah, we're, we're giving some stuff for you guys because we, we appreciate you guys spreading a little bit of holiday cheer. So all year long, all year long. You make us happy. Moms. Yeah. Smoke weed every day, day. <laughs> so, all day, every day. All day, every day, when we need to, when we've had it, pretty much all the time. You guys have been waiting for it all week. <laughs> Coming to you live. From Hollywood, Florida, Sunny D's crib. <laughs> <laughs> House approves marijuana research bill days after voting to federally legalize cannabis. So we talked about this the last uh, show. Um, they finally, they actually did it. So the House of Representatives approved a separate bill meant to promote research into the plant, in part by allowing scientists to access cannabis from state legal dispensaries. Yep, yep, yep. Which would make total fucking sense. Makes more sense. We want to test all the stuff you're smoking. We want to know what's that. We want to know what the research is on that. Exactly. What the public's consuming. Yeah. Not something they're growing in their own backyard. So that's two cannabis reform bills Mm -hmm. they have passed through the house in, in a matter of weeks. Yeah. So let's see what happens in the Senate. Yeah, let's, let's see. see. People are, are actually like, changing. Like people are throwing so much it shade. It seems like to, everything cannabis has been going through now. I know, especially now. Everybody's like, we are fucking stressed out, and we would like, and we need money. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we, we need, need money, money, and jobs, and all that, all that, all that. that so. 
My dog is trying to get out of my room. <laughs> oh, there shit. He is. Do I Hold let him out? Do I let him out? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes, I will. Oh, my God. He's not <laughs> Cujo. <laughs> but the audience is going to be like, well, there's a dog in the studio. <laughs> Someone has let a dog into the studio. He's barking. He's gone. He's. I'm glad he's barking though. He's been. He's been in the pits of despair these last few days. Oh, he's getting Sunday. old, and his little. I don't know. Something's up with his leg. You know, dogs get hurt and stuff, and then they're older. So it's like I don't want to rush him to the vet because you know they're gonna try to milk you for everything you got. Yeah. I mean, whatever. That's a whole nother. <laughs> So, GOP lawmaker files complaint over Democrats' marijuana mask worn during the House le- legalization debate. So, saw this guy. He looked cool as fuck. They literally, like, really filed a complaint because he wore a mask with weed leaves on it. I'm telling you, uh, so much waste of time. Like, these people do nothing but waste time. So this guy looking like Bill Nye the science guy <laughs> wearing the coolest stuff. And I'm a big Bill Nye fan. I like fan. the mask. The I mask like looks cool. He's got a whole, you know, he's got a whole aesthetic going down. <laughs> Plus, he was just showing his enthusiasm. Support yeah, his enthusiasm and, his support, and yeah. his support. So, of course, a Republican member of the U.S. House of Representatives was the one to file a formal complaint. And um, Bill Nye is Democratic. <laughs> Apparently. So he had these like marijuana leaves on his mask. Super cool. I don't even have a cool mask like that. <laughs> like I just have wear black masks. I haven't gotten that cool yet. During a debate on the legalization Saying bill. Saying that the garment uh, amounted to an endorsement of recreational drug use and diminished the seriousness and the decorum of the house floor. Give me a break. Because he wore like leave plant like Images of leaves on his on his mask. I, some people just guys. <laughs> why are you so serious? Uh, really? Whatever. It still passed. The kind of words that they've said on the house floor, and this is like uh, fucking bothering people. Okay, sure, no problem. Alrighty, bang. So Florida lawmakers build has a bill uh, decriminalizing marijuana uh, to create pathways to clear prior convictions. Here's a little clip. To Here's a little. Here. Roll the clip. We got a clip in the studio. Roll the clip. People across the Sunshine State could see their misdemeanor marijuana convictions wiped away if a new bill becomes law. These convictions can follow a person when they apply for a job, when they are trying to get to the military, when they are trying to get an apartment. State Senator Randolph Bracey announced the proposed legislation this week, saying he will introduce it for the 2021 session. That's why I think a bill like this is important, to get it off of their record so they can move on with their lives. Here in the Sunshine State, possession of up to 20 grams of marijuana is a first-degree misdemeanor, punishable by up to a year in prison and or up to a $1,000 fine. Bracey's bill would create a pathway for clearing criminal records of those low-level cannabis convictions. He says there's a disconnect. People are sitting in jail cells for small possession charges while the recreational and medical marijuana industries boom. Now we have a whole system where, where marijuana is being sold legally and you don't go back and address the people that have been incarcerated. I, I think it's the right thing to do uh, 
from the state's government's perspective. Federal law still prohibits the use of cannabis, but recreational and medical use is being legalized on the state level across the country. Voters here in the Sunshine State approved medical cannabis in 2016. Medical use is now legal in 34 other states, and it's completely legal in 15 states and Washington, D.C. Bracey says if his bill passes, he wants to continue to work on broader statewide marijuana reforms. I think there will be bipartisan support, and so we can build on it in, in, in a future session. Well, there we go. And earlier this year, Hillsborough. So that's Catherine Hawley reporting yeah. from Fox 13. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing now the whole time because when we were first going over this information prior to starting the show... Captain Jay was cracking up and I'm like, why are you laughing? And she's like, because the way the lady's saying the story. It's like, can you imagine if we read that? Florida lawmakers bill decriminalizes marijuana, creates pathway to clear prior convictions. Oh, the way they talk. It's Sometimes so it's like, okay, you could dial down the reporter, bro. You could just a little bit. You can add a little flavor. You bring down the robot and the robotic tendencies of your voice but this is important and this is good this is good this is headed in the right direction so i really do hope this gets fully passed and approved like again it says they approved a bill so i don't know yeah we so this is a where follow up with this bill the pathway of this bill and when it becomes because as somebody that works in hr i can tell you that yes that follows you when I do background checks, I can see pretty far what? back. Can you, can you, can I see, can you see what is on a background check? What will pop up on a background check? I'm curious. I've well, always been curious. it's going to check all the county records to see if you were charged with any misdemeanors, felonies, or anything like that. Hmm. So, and then, like, our backgrounds only go back, I think, five or seven years. But there's another one, since we're in the mortgage industry, that we pull that goes back further but we don't really look at the criminal part of that, but you'll see it. You'll still see it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really care about that though, especially if it's been over like years ago and it was just like dismissed. And Yeah. Well, this again, is, these are like minor things that need to, like, I feel like resources need to be reallocated. Like we need to stop hanging on to some shit that has been criminalized forever for, you know, obviously, uh, something that's ridiculous as a plant, you know? Yeah, people are legally purchasing it now and yeah. making money off of it. It's You need a fix. You need, all exactly. The There's a lot wrongs of... made. But they need to be revising a lot of fucking things right yeah. now. Okay? That's my I could have had a, a misdemeanor on my record, but luckily I got it, like, expunged and dismissed. But on yeah. my way to a music festival, we got pulled over, and nobody... They found like a little bit in our in our camper, but nobody admitted who's it belong, who it belonged to. So everybody just got like a citation for to appear in court. But that would still would have shown on my record if I wouldn't have That's gotten a so good lawyer. That's so fucking shitty. And how I mean, and and also like them having to go through all that for that. Like, is I don't know. I just I feel like this needs bills like these need to get passed. We need to go. That was in the state of Georgia on the way to Bonnaroo. Yeah, and that's. In Butts County, Georgia. Butts County. Literally Butts County. Butts County. (laughs) 
All right. So our uh, interview, we're very excited for this interview. We had such a good time with her, Liv Vasquez. Uh, she's a cannabis educator, chef, and consultant. Uh, she ha- is the owner of Livy Small's Events. And she is the winner of Cooked with Cannabis. It's a show on Netflix that we had a really fun. We had a lot of fun talking to her about it. Um, She gave us some inside scoop on what was going down behind the scenes. I may get her consulting efforts on my edible issue. Yes. We talked about that a little. We talked about the edible situation. She was so much fun to talk to. And God, you're going to love this interview because she is just a wonderful resource. Uh, We hope you enjoy. Here's Liv Vasquez. And been in the cannabis industry. So I've been working in the cannabis industry for about five years, mm-hmm. um, four years on the legal side of things. But I really knew that Oregon was taking a step into legalization. So I wanted to be here for it and be ahead of the game learning as much as I could. So around five years, but in cannabis, it's dog years. So that's like 10 years, 12 years kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, But before that, I was a chef and a restaurateur. So I've been a chef for over 20 years. So, so you started doing, you start, you were a chef first, but then you slowly got into cannabis. Well, I was always, um, you know, working in restaurants, everybody has a dealer and nobody has insurance, you know, so it's like everybody is smoking weed, but they're not really going to a doctor for sleeping medicine and stuff like that. So I always kind of fell into the people who were like smoking a joint after work or, you know, one time, one of my jobs here in Portland, my dealer got me the job. So everybody at the restaurant was like cool and like really nice. And so um, I feel like there was was like a camaraderie kind of to it but I also worked in stage management so I was the people the person having to get weed for the comedians <laughs> like basically like if you had some certain comedians coming through we needed to find weed for them because they're gonna have a better set so I was always kind of the plug in a way but when it started to legalize is when I really started working with people and, and I've always worked with people who had like disabilities or my mom can't sleep or my grandma has cancer. Like it was always more of leaning into that than, um, you know, the stoner culture so much. I was more of like the, the plug for your grandma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that was kind of like where my entryway into it was. But in restaurants, everybody's smoking weed pretty much. So I worked in it was a- just kind of always around. I worked in the business for a while and I loved it because I just felt like I was able to be myself the most at or when I worked at a restaurant. And I love yeah. that I've always done the been the customer service person so I love the aspect of the the customer service part of it too. Yeah. Really cool. We were also watching your you on the show. I I was actually watching the season and then I found out about you and I was like, oh, man, I got to keep watching the show now so I could see her on it. <laughs> and then I was like waiting for you every show. And I was like, oh, my God, when is she going to come up? And then I got so <laughs> excited when you find you're like the one you're like one before the last second to last second yeah, to last holiday, episode. Man. And then I was like, I was about to shoot a TikTok and I was like, uh, I don't want to be like fangirling and (laughs) (laughs) but we were we actually were watching a piece of it recently were you stoned while you were on the show no i so we couldn't smoke it's funny because the two guys that were on my episode 
um, we, you know, we had to do all of our runs and stuff together. So we got to know each other, but the one guy from Boston was such a stoner. Like he <laughs> wants to be fully medicated to the max all the time. And so we got up that morning and the studio, it was in the middle of like a heat wave in California. So, and we had five ovens going. So it was literally like a hundred and something degrees in there oh, while we're cooking switch. and running around. And the one little guy from Boston he was just like I didn't get to smoke this morning I will kill people like I can't deal with this like he was really like losing it and he um you probably see like in, in part of the episode he's putting smoke into a dish and he's like getting into it and like trying to huff the smoke out but we couldn't like we could try our dishes but there wasn't really time and I was just like I, on my list of things I had to get done. So I wasn't really like, I was like, I'll smoke after it'll be fine. Yeah, for I sure. could have sworn you guys ate edibles or something because <laughs> your eyes and the little guy's eyes were red. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was probably just from being in that, that heat, kitchen. In he that was heat. probably high though. I'll be real. He was <laughs> trying so hard <laughs> for real, man. Sometimes it gets, it's like that. So how was it being on a live uh, competition TV show? I've always wondered how that would be. <laughs> well, so one thing people don't really realize is that's the first weed show Netflix has put out. Yeah. So they yeah. put, they directed it, they put it together, they funded it. All the other weed stuff that's on Netflix was pretty much bought from YouTube, all the competition stuff. Mm -hmm. So that, that's why it looks kind of YouTube-y. <laughs> and then this show looks like Top Chef yeah. because my producer literally was one of the winners of Top Chef. Like she was doing my dishes and getting all my shit for me. So it was like most of the people who worked on this show worked on Top Chef they worked on um next top model or no uh what's the one the project runway one. project runway project runway project yes yeah. so it was like people from like bigger productions yeah but tv takes a long ass time so they were talking to me like two years ago and I think I was the first person they talked to because they had heard about me so they didn't have any other chefs lined up and they were trying to be like we have a bunch of people I was like no you don't you don't have anyone doing what I'm doing I promise you and then towards the end they were literally scrambling for like anyone so I would say there are some people who are close to my caliber and then some people who literally were just like yeah I make edibles <laughs> like, I so it's such a like and then some people who were just chefs who like didn't really know about like infusion and all that stuff. So um, it's weird because it takes so long. And um, I actually had to call them out because their testing was wrong on, on some of their flour. I was like, this testing is falsified. So I can't do my math. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, these numbers are literally impossible for flour. You can get this on concentrates, but you can't get these numbers on flour. So these numbers have been like paid for or falsified, but they're not real test results. So I can't do the math on my dish. And they were like, this has gone past like 60 people already. And I was like, I know. I can't believe I'm the only one who knows how to read lab results on this whole show. <laughs> where they had, wow. they had like the percentages on the flour wrong? Yeah, flour yeah. can't be more than what thirty. How, how, 20, what, what was the how seven, high was it? Thirty. They had it at 
And I literally, because here I work in with labs, I work with people who are doing research, I work with the science community in Oregon, that's why I'm in Oregon. The research here is better than anywhere else in America, just because we have access to it. So I look at the labs here and in Tel Aviv, like a lot. I know how to read lab results. And the thing is, on flour, you can't have more than 35% THC. And they were saying that this was 43% decarboxylated. I was like, there's absolutely no way. It's it's not real. It's not happening. And I sent photos of them to my friends who work in labs here. And we were literally sending laugh cry emojis to each other. Like, this is so fake. <laughs> like, California's wow. got to get their shit together. <laughs> Yeah, who knows if they staged it for the show. Like, how when you're on the set, do you have, like, a, a since you're breaking the fourth wall, are you kind of, like, disappointed? I mean, for this show, they really had to talk me into it because the guy that they had as the judge literally is one of my friends who I had a meeting with where he was saying, I'm not on your level. I'm not the kind of chef you are. I don't know as much about weed as you do. And then Netflix kind of went behind me and offered him the hosting job when he literally didn't. He said out of his mouth, I'm not on your level. So, so it was like kind of upsetting because I'm a woman of color and I know what I'm talking about. And they're putting me in this like kind of weird position that could you know, put my life out there for the law, you know, like what I do is legal to an extent, but it's right. not legal everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're really put risking more than just going on top chef. Like it's, it's more of a risk putting out what you do out into the world. So people can keep an eye on you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of hesitant from the beginning, but the producers really like, pushed for me to stay on board and I almost dropped out a bunch of times I'll be honest but I'm glad I stuck with it because it was cool to see just how it all got done and how many people work on it and what kind of budget they had for this show in particular and um, hopefully it means more shows like that in the future from Netflix with the budget and producers that they used for this kind of show so we'll see yeah absolutely Yes, there definitely needs to be more cannabis content and education out there to get people yeah. talking more about it. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. So, I mean, like everybody, I've had to pivot so much with COVID. My um, whole business was traveling to places mm -hmm. with nothing, like not even my knives. And I would just show up and source everything, food, knives, decor, spaces, and turn spaces that are not supposed to be restaurants into restaurants for a day um, to teach people because legally, I mean, now in Chicago, you can a little bit, but up until about seven months ago, you couldn't have a dining establishment where there's cannabis because of the laws around smoking, just smoking, the Indoor Clean Air Act, like keeps you from having smoke and cannabis. So you would have to have a private residence, anything that counts as a private residence, that you could have a party in. Like a private but you technically party. can't charge money for it. So it was like all these hoops Oops. to jump yeah. through that I was jumping through, like all over the place. Um, but it definitely makes it like tricky to do what I was doing. So now that I'm not traveling, I'm I'm sitting still like everybody else. I've switched to doing more like virtual classes where I send people a kit of some of my favorite things um, and brands that I've worked with from soil to sale. Like I know 
what their soil tests like because I've been on their farm. I know everyone who touches that product. So I want to have people have more connection to their product. Um, because if you look at like the top, uh, I think it was terpenes and testing magazine did a test of the top 10 CBD products sold on Amazon and only three of them actually had CBD in them. So it's like when people are, making an $80 commitment every month, they should know who makes money off of that and what they're actually putting in their body because hemp can be so dangerous if it's not cultivated properly. So I'm doing more online classes and um, the kits and classes where I send people an infusion kit with a bunch of my favorite stuff in it. And then I talk them through some of my favorite recipes, some of the recipes that I made on Cooked with Cannabis, some recipes that I've made in demos, just like stuff that people have said they wanted to try. And then uh, we cook it together and I teach them. That sounds awesome. So like the kit has like all the ingredients that you need to make the meal and the CBD or? It has all the infusion stuff. So you okay. would have to get all the stuff to make the meal the way you okay. want to make it. So everything is based on vegan recipes and infusion stuff. But if you like meat, you can add meat. If you like dairy, you can add dairy. It's really up to your digestion, which is important with edibles. If you don't digest something well, you're not going to get all the cannabinoids out of it. So okay. you want to have something that you digest well. Now, I know you, you specialize in ingesting the cannabis, like the best way to ingest it and, you know, metabolize it, I guess. What do you think about people where they say that edibles don't work for them? Because they've never worked for me. So th that's something where I usually tell people that you should do a one-on-one -on -one consultation with me because there's a handful of things. It's like having an allergy. You need to have a trial and error, what is called like a a takeaway method where you're trying things and taking them away and journaling through them. There are a myriad of reasons edibles don't work for people. It could be your digestion is too quick. You might have a high metabolism rate, or you could be digesting things too slowly, and then it's not getting all of the cannabinoids out. Or it could be... Um, Mara Gordon, actually, I lean into her teachings a lot. She's a researcher from California, and she says that uh, absorption has more to do with age than height or weight. So people who maybe could not really try edibles when they were younger, um, they have a better experience with them where they're metabolizing more of the cannabinoids when they're older. So there could be a virtually a bunch of reasons, but your endocannabinoid system is set up for cannabinoids and to receive them. And so it could be a lacking of somewhere in the chain of connection from your endocannabinoid system to your stomach or your liver. Yeah, it's never worked for me. Uh, another question on there for you. Uh, I feel like a lot of times edibles are kind of inconsistent, but uh, because of what you just said. So what would what do you think would be optimal? What a, would be an optimal situation for you to have the best experience with edibles with or, or get the most out of it? Well, I mean, you have to think about 
cannabis as a whole like you would a pharmacy. Not every single thing in the pharmacy is for you. Not everything in the pharmacy is going to be good for you or really fix what you're looking to fix or treat what you're looking to treat. So it really is an individual basis of what works for certain people and what doesn't. I will say that mislabeling is a big part of the problem. Uh, I get so many people from California who are like, I eat 500 milligram edibles and I've been eating them before, you know, when it was still medical. And I'm like, honey, they haven't even regulated all their labs in California. Most of the stuff that says it's 500 milligrams was before they were even making you regulate the labs. So they're not telling you the actual milligrams because they're not testing it. So some people think they have a high tolerance or I eat 300 milligram edibles all the time. But are they actually 300 milligrams? Somebody had said a thousand milligrams the other day on fucking Instagram. And I was like, you, uh, that is insane. You would be in the hospital right now just because of how crazy you would be going. Well, that was the kind of stuff that Alice Moon, which I posted about her too. She's a good friend of mine. She developed cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. She was a cannabis writer and she wrote about edibles, specifically high dose edibles. So she was eating like the blackout brownie, which is a thousand milligrams. Um, and she essentially what I think, because we've been writing her especially, but I've helped her write to different people who are getting funding for research for cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome and fighting for funding for research for that specific issue because we don't really know how it starts. Some researchers think that it's an overloading of your endocannabinoid system where you're just getting an overflow. It's like alcohol poisoning mm -hmm. where you're just hitting too much And now you've kind of blown out your livers or you've blown out your endocannabinoid system. And now it's not able to work the same way it was in the past, unfortunately. That's my hypothesis on it after knowing her and seeing what she's gone through for the last like two years. Wow. Um, but there's still so much research to be done. And it's all an individual basis. And I think that that's why bud tenders are so important and people kind of write them off, but bud tenders are important. They are like the pharmacists. We should be educating them and paying them and having them unionize like pharmacies, like pharmacists, so they can get the right thing. Because even on the recreational market, people are still using cannabis medicinally. So you still need to have some frame of reference of what things work for certain people. And that's what I did And that's how I learned is I stopped being a chef for two years to learn everything I could about cannabis and work with doctors and just ask people, can I learn from you? Can we work together? Can we talk together? Because it is important to understand not only your own body as a person consuming cannabis, but the person who is selling you the cannabis needs to know about their product because you as a consumer don't normally know. Yeah. I've tried like the capsules and I just feel like sometimes, I don't know, like my body might not digest the capsule properly. And by the time it does, that's I'm not, it's past the place where it needs to get absorbed. I don't know. Well, the capsules too, usually don't have enough fat to bind it to your receptors. So it's like, that's why weed butter works for more people mm -hmm. because the butter is fatty And it sticks to your receptors and it sits there for a while and does a slow release with everything else. You're pretty much getting it like 
slammed into your receptors and then it's dissipating quickly or slammed in your receptors and then you're on a peak and you don't know when the peak is going to stop. So that's what I wrote my ebook about was basically like the bad brownie experience because everybody's had one. And my ebook talks about cannabis privilege for people who live in places where they can just walk into a store and buy cannabis. But I also talk about the different forms of ingestion and absorption because an edible that's made with distillate is not going to have the same high as an edible made with butter. And if you look on the market, the things that usually sell better or more consistently are made with butter or oil. They're not made with a distillate. And people like gummies because a gummy hits you faster because it's basically like a jello shot with the gelatin, mm -hmm. but it doesn't last as long. So if you're trying to get into REM sleep, if you eat an edible for sleep, you're not going to hit REM sleep because it's going to taper off halfway through the night. Interesting. What do you also, what do you think when it comes to different kinds of oils? Because so, um, we have, well, I got a Levo and I know you've used that machine before and I've seen a bunch, you have all kinds of stuff. She I has mean, a whole collection just of toys. on a whole nother level, <laughs> but I got a Levo and I'm, you know, I'm testing things here and there, you know, not just flour, but of course it does have a certain appeal for flour. Uh, which you did teach me something that I was just blown away with. And you were like, don't use ground. Don't use uh, grounds for baking because it's pretty deteriorated to where you're not really going to get as much as if you were to use whole flour. Oh, so maybe that was the problem with your first batch. Yeah, I, I, I did uh, a few batches. I did one with MCT oil and that's what, so that's what I was going to ask you is what do you think with the different kinds of oils? Because I would think that like an MCT oil is good for like a tincture, but, but not for cooking. If you're like, what do you, which oils do you prefer? I guess. When I'm doing like a standard infusion just to have like around the house, I'm going to do coconut oil because it's so versatile. I can use it as a topical. I can make magic shell for ice cream. I can put it, you know, cook hash browns with it. I can kind of do anything with it. So I feel like for me, it's coconut oil, but I also digest coconut oil really well. Like I eat it a lot. So my body likes it already. So it's already digesting it and absorbing it in a way that I know works for me. Um, but I also really love in my CBD kits, I have an infused olive oil that is from these 500 year old vines in Spain. And it's this one family and it's this small family. They're just like two little kids and a mom and dad. And they go to the farmer's market every weekend and sell their CBD Spanish oil. But it's beautiful. Like if you put this on a table in some of the nicest restaurants, you wouldn't know it has CBD in it. It's from these like very hard to get access to vines. They have exclusive rights to these 500 year old vines. So it's like stuff like that where it's like craft and my body loves it and it's already made. I fucking love that stuff. But most times if I don't know the farm that they got their hemp from, I'm not going to buy it. So I'll make it myself. So I'll go coconut oil with that. But then there's just some olive oils that I like to have as a table oil that just work. And in winter, the coconut oil is like not, you're not dipping your bread in that. It's cold. It's hard. It's not good for everything. <laughs> That's cool. I, I infuse like rosemary into olive oil too. Oh my God. And I did That's like lavender with coconut oil. I got to eat it and I can put it on my skin. It's amazing. 
perfect. <laughs> and you put sugar in there. You can make a lip scrub. Like you can really do any, you can make bath salts with it. Like it's really so versatile. And I mean, olive oil can be too. Like you can put olive oil kind of everywhere, but um, I really like having coconut oil infused and just around. I used to use MCT oil a bunch more because it does kind of leach out a lot of the um, benefits as well as cannabinoids, like just the health benefits of the plant too. So I feel like that can be really helpful, especially like in a Levo where it's lower temp. Um, but it really depends on the person and what you intend to make with it. The thing I like about the Levo is because you can make small batches, which I tend to do because I don't like making a big batch of oil and then it's going bad or it's sitting around or I get bored with the flavor of it or whatever, you know, like I want to make a small batch and just use it and not have it sitting around. So that really lets you play with, like I'm specifically making bath bombs with this so i want it to have lavender i want it to have this hemp or like you know whatever so you can make it specific to you and that's why i like doing the smaller batch things a little bit more what do you like oh my god i just i was like so ready to ask a question and in the midst of it i just forgot do, it. Do, do, do. marijuana oh yeah no no here here here, here it is here it is here it is <laughs> So my whole problem is it's I feel like it takes a lot of flour and like I am a broke ass. I do not have that kind of money to invest in loads and loads of flour. I do not have friends who grow it. We're not in that situation over here. Mm -hmm. So what how small how much of a, like how little do you need? Like what's the smallest amount to of flour that you can use to make something decent? Yeah, for like well, it depends on what method you're using. And that's why I wanted to go through all these machines and show people like, what are you making? If you're making a big fat batch of whatever trim sauce, I don't know, like, then you probably won't want the magic butter machine because it can make a big fat batch of butter and it's like a crock pot basically. But I like having smaller amounts. So I use a gram, like when I use my Levo, the original Levo pod only holds about an eighth in it. Then you have the extension pod that holds about a quarter. And the reason, the main reason I wrote my book and that I started talking to people about infusion is because most people don't buy a fucking garbage bag of trim or have an uncle who grows or have the money to spend on an ounce. I know when I was waiting tables, I sure as fuck didn't have the money to spend on an ounce of trim to spend three days making brownies or some shit. Like, no, mm -hmm. like, I don't have that. Who has that? It's very few people. So in order to make this more accessible, I was like, what if we just made a gram worth of oil. You can have a cup of oil and a gram of flour. And if you have the right machine where it's all able to infuse and submerge, then you can use just a gram. I've, I have on my Instagram, I think it's on my IGTV. I used the Levo and I made oil out of one joint and I just emptied the joint into the pod and set it and let it go. And then I had a cup of infused oil that was around 200 milligrams. Wow, nice. So it's like, and 200 milligrams for me, that's like five edibles. That's, I mean, I'm not eating a 200 milligram edible. So that for me is yeah, like good to have for a couple of days worth yeah. of edibles. And 
I don't have to worry about it. And it's a joint. Like if you live in a legal state, sometimes you can get a gram joint for two bucks, like on discount Damn, or sale or whatever. Oh it's my 13 God. bucks here. Yeah, it's 13 bucks here. We're in Florida. Well, it's medical. Florida? Oh, okay. Yeah. Florida is medical. a whole different beast because they don't want people to have access to mass. No. They want them to have access to some. Mm-hmm. And in Oregon, we have more, we have like a hundred tons of excess cannabis. Um, we just have too much because it grows perfectly here. So oh, we, it's like so Florida nice. oranges is Oregon cannabis. Like, so we have a ton and yeah. sometimes you'll get like a good okay. deal. Like they can't give it to you for free. That's one of the laws, but sometimes you'll get like a gram joint with the purchase of whatever, like for a dollar or for five cents or something like that. So, but it's shitty. It's been sitting around for a year or something. It's like not very good. It's swag. So most times I don't want to smoke that, but I'll make it into a little oil for myself for, you know, a dollar or two dollars or whatever. And then I'll have like an Jesus. edible for a couple of days, you know? Oh man. I remember when back in the day when we used to make edibles in my early twenties, we didn't have, like you said, it, the cost it's costly. So we would just buy what we called reggies, which was, you know, not the creepy, the just the reggie weed, the pressed <laughs> bricks. So yeah. we're like, of this works for edibles. And... We're just going to put it in butter and oil. So it's fine. Well, when I came down to Florida to film at the Magical Butter Studios, because they're in, what's it called? It's uh, Porn St. Lucie is where they are. Oh. So they're like nowhere legal. Like, And I'm like, where are you getting the flour for me to make like this whole video on how to cook with cannabis. <laughs> like we're in Florida. Yeah. So they just like pretty much just like had a guy. <laughs> yeah, came nice. over, he had some good shit. I didn't know they were in Port St. Lucie. That's where like their headquarters is. That's where their corporate is. The magical butter I'll people? Be the magic butter maker? They're Florida? right down they're like an hour away, two hours away That's from us. Two hours from here, yeah. You should hit him I I kind of am like not working with them as much because I know a couple of the higher ups there were really Trumpy. And so I was like, I don't want to fly down to Florida and be stuck somewhere with a bunch of people. Especially that upstate. It could be like, get out, you know? Like, I don't They didn't ask you for your papers? <laughs> I was waiting on it. <laughs> yeah, man. Listen, we live in Wait, my. There's like a couple of people there who were cool, so. We live in Miami. And we're Hispanic, obviously. And uh, Miami is completely different from eh, all the other parts of the up north Florida. Okay. Even even the Keys is a little different. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's not as diverse as Miami. So it's weird because we never felt discriminated because uh, naturally we're amongst our people here. Right. But once we go up north, people start looking at you and you don't talk like them and we went up north for a cannabis festival bro nobody wearing masks as soon as we got to the gas station it was like old people not wearing masks and we were just like oh yeah this is where it starts you gotta be real careful around these parts (laughs) and then it was right before right before we found out who uh the new president was and it was just we were just oh wow it was a day of well we were at the festival when we found we out. were at the cannabis festival when we found out and we were freaking out but we couldn't celebrate or be happy about it because these people around us was not gonna we be were in a very red county yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, like I um, I went to high school and culinary school in Orlando, and as soon as I could leave, I left. I was like, there's nothing for me in Orlando. I didn't even really have friends there. I just was like trying to get out as soon as I got there, pretty much. So I I felt like in Orlando specifically, like I got I was a victim of a hate crime. I like had a lot of shit that happened there that I was just like, this isn't for me. And then I moved to New York because I felt more, I would go visit New York and I just felt more at home there, even though I had no family there, no real friends, like solid friends there, but it just felt more like home. And, and now I just don't really go back to Florida. Like my mom lives there, but we're estranged. So you can, really you can come to Miami, bro. You'll be like, you'll fit in perfectly. So are you from Florida? Cause I know you said you lived in New York and you went to school in Florida, but are you from Florida? No, I mean, I, I lived there for like five, six years. Um, but I moved around a lot as a kid. So it was kind of like a place I was for high school and that was kind of it. Mm -hmm. So, and culinary school. And then I worked for Universal and helped them set up the Islands of Adventure and the City Walk restaurants. And then it was like my resume was stacked so I could move away. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you you accomplished so much by the age of 21. How does somebody do that by... Was it like 15 restaurants you helped set up by the age of 21? How is that possible? Yeah, I can not that. What, what was I was doing, doing at 19, we were eating shit. <laughs> was what we were doing. I was try- literally trying to get out of Florida. Like, I had well, you a mission. Did it. I knew that if I was straight out of culinary school doing all this stuff, like, it just would stack my resume up and I could kind of do whatever I want. And it was true. Like, I moved to New York. And I helped open the Gramercy Park. They had a roof on their hotel roof. Um, So I helped them revamp and reopen that, which was like this big deal. And I opened my first restaurant of my own in New York when I was 22. And then my second one when I was 23. So it was kind of like I knew if I did this rapid fire work, I could do whatever I wanted, really. And I was really good in culinary school. And my teacher's teacher, essentially, had just become like the vice president of universal and he was opening city walk and the islands of adventure. And so he was like, we have 50 restaurants that we have to open in like a short amount of time, basically that are all themed. So he was, he just saw me in school and was like, you are going to come work for me. So he kind of took me straight from school to universal and he wanted me to go to universal Japan and (gasps) my brother was special needs. So I couldn't. So I just stayed in Orlando and helped open everything pretty much. So what you're saying is is you have the hookup at universal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a huge everywhere. Are you kidding me? She got the hookup go everywhere. The 50 times right now, I'm obsessed with Harry Potter, by the way. <laughs> I would ride them all. The Hulk, I still think about all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm dying to ride. go back just to ride the new Hagrid ride. I've heard it's awesome. The new Hag- Hagrid ride that goes through the Enchanted Forest. I gotta go back. I know somebody who waited like some ridiculous amount of hours. For that fucking ride. And I was just like, man, you got to really like that shit. Cause that I would not, I would not wait no man, no hours, nowhere for nothing. Well, before the park opened, we were like the guinea pigs, which I looking back on is really fucked up. <laughs> but like 
before the park opened, it was just celebrities and employees for like months. So we would go like before work and just run and ride a couple rides, like come in an hour early and ride like a couple rides. Mm-hmm. And there were some rides that when the park opened, I was like, that's for kids only we've been riding this for like months and now you have to be like seven years old to ride it (laughs) (laughs) so waiting in the line I was just like oh yeah I guess you have to wait now normal people are in the park but I guess that's theme park that sounds fun man but what would like so what did it take to you re- you owned and ran your a restaurant all two on your own like two re- like that is like <laughs> restaurant work. I mean, I never, I can't even imagine what owning a re- like you are there twenty four hours. Like you will never leave that fucking place. That is a yeah. lot of work. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing is, is I was super driven, and I also had it in my mind like when you're young, you have the energy to do this shit. Like I now at my age, I'm like. I don't want to open a restaurant. That's the last fucking thing I want to do. But when you're 22 and you have the stamina and everything's fresh in your mind from school and you have the empathy because you're new, I think that all of that just worked in my favor. And I still have people who waited tables for me who to this day, like 15 years later are still like, um, any chance you would be my boss again somehow because you were the best boss I ever had. That's so awesome. it's like, that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, man. When did you start smoking? Like what was your ex- first time experience with cannabis? So I actually didn't start smoking until I was like 19. I had gotten in a car accident um, with a friend of mine and I had kind of messed up my back and I was straight edge before I mean, like every once in a while I'd have a drink, but I never, I still have never smoked a cigarette. Like I was pretty straight edge. And my mom actually was like, you're on these on Darva set, which is like, it makes you just, for me, it just made me like blank. Like I just was like a zombie. And she was like, you're not yourself. Like you're usually cracking jokes and you're usually like, you know, more talkative. You just aren't yourself on these drugs. So she was like, I'm going to get you a joint. Her friend, she just had like a little buddy who grew in his backyard or whatever. So she got me a joint and she like sent me to go take a bath, like a really hot bath. And she gave me a beer and she was just like, try a bath, a beer and a joint before you try your next pill and see if that works for you. And it did. It just was so much better for me. I could be myself, but I didn't feel the pain that was like killing me. And I was able to just function better than I was before. And I had always kind of been like stoners are just going to be lazy or whatever, (laughs) but it, it definitely was like, Oh no, I'm still, you know, doing the things I need to do, but I can actually be myself now and not be just a zombie. So my first time was really more medicinally, I guess, than like recreationally, but then it turned recreational after that, I guess. That's awesome that your mom was so open to it. Does your mom smoke? Is she like... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's still... Was she always open? I haven't seen her for a couple of years, but last time I went to Florida to visit her, she was like, there's a jerk in the ashtray for you. (laughs) And there's just like always a jerk burning. (laughs) So So she was always open with you about (laughs) smoking. So she was always open like while you were growing up about her 
consuming cannabis? Was it like something? Yeah, that's probably why I was so straight edge yeah. too. Because I just was like, that's something my mom does. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I just was like, not really interested. But, um, and then when it's like, I'm, I'm a very curious person. So I do this with food. I do it with wine. Like I need to know what the best is how to get the best, what does that look like, what, you know, how is it cultivated. I feel that way with food. I feel that way with wine. So with weed being an agriculture-based industry, I think it was just appealing to me because it can be so many things. It's one plant that can be clothing, food, a home. It can be medicine. It can be so many things, which you can just, you can grow it. If you have the legality or the know-how, you can grow it and have all those things for yourself. So that to me was also really appealing was that provides so much from one seed, essentially. Like if you're in an agricultural space, there's not many plants that you can really get that much yield from with anything else. So that was exciting to me too, I think. Yeah, that is, that's really amazing. We actually, the, we, a friend of ours does a CBD and he was on our show also. And he had something called a shrub club where he would like grow all kinds of stuff. And it's just insane how like, I mean, I'm a, I'm terrible. Like I'm the worst. I have no green thumb. I, I mad respect to everybody who could do that kind of stuff, but it is just so amazing. Like growing your own food is just, to me, the concept is like so amazing yet. So like, well, I, I think that stoners in particular have a disconnect where like when I first started doing my events, they were adventurous and beautiful and they look like a wedding and so many people, they never sold out. And it was because so many stoners were just like, we don't get to have something this beautiful. We don't get to have connection with our cannabis. We don't get to have connection with our food because we haven't been able to for so long. So I think that people not thinking they could have something has been a barrier even for me because people don't think they get to have luxury cannabis or know where their cannabis comes from but when i did cbd summer camp it was on a cannabis farm but we had to do it under cbd so it was legal to everything but we had foragers come with us so people were foraging food from the farm you got to swim in the natural pools on the farm they come in from the mountain like you got wow. to hike on the farm and do yoga on the farm and eat the food from the farm so you have a connection with that hemp farm and where your cbd comes from that no one else will ever have like you know that everything that comes from that farm you've tasted the water there you've been on the land there you've seen how they treat the crops there you've walked through the crops and you know what they how they treat them Gosh. that is going to make you connected to that weed more than you've ever been connected to weed yeah that's the cbd adult summer camp that yeah so cool <laughs> it was really cool <laughs> I'm like, I would love to do it again, but who freaking knows, knows when it's going to happen? Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, when Rona's over, when Rona's over, we're going to go do the CBD. See, that's something, that's something that's we're going to have. Smoking moms would totally be down the, to do. And we need to have Liv come and do one of her pop up events here. Oh, my God. Yeah. Us, in South Florida and Miami, for oh sure. God. There I got some so spots many for you in Miami who have asked me to come do stuff there. And there's actually a chef from Cooked with Cannabis who lives in DC who was awesome. And his name is Lauren. And he was 
Um, he didn't win, but I think he was on episode three. But he does a lot of stuff in Miami, too. And we, before all of this, we were talking about, like, linking up in Miami and doing something fun. But, um, you know, maybe when everything is cleared up, we can find a cool way to do it. Because for my CBD class and kits, most of the times I have people from, from Florida or Miami specifically who are doing the Skype in to cook with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that people there who are interested. How do you, how would you, how do you even set up, have you set up a kitchen in places where there's no kitchen? Yeah. That's like every place. How the fuck do you see. do that? <laughs> well, because Magic. like, you know, working for universal, my job was to basically walk into a place and say, you need a hand sink here. You need a low boy here. You need refrigeration here. Like I have that skill from doing that in blank spaces so many times with universal, but, um, it really is like, like there's one event that's in California and that one's like really special to me because it was on a roof and it's beautiful. So I quit my job at the dispensary because I was being sexually harassed so bad that I was like, my hair was falling out. And I was falling apart. Um, and I had to quit and I left because my bosses basically gave me an ultimatum to shut up and do my job or to leave. And so I left. And as I was walking out, I called my friends in LA. They had just decriminalized in LA. It was not legal yet. They still had three months before it was legal. And I knew it was decriminalized though. So I called my friends in LA, just random friends. And I was like, I have to start hosting these events. I have to start like putting them on now. Like this is how I'm going to have to pay my rent. So I got to like figure it out. So that first event I flew into LA and I couldn't fly with my knives because I couldn't pay for a checked bag. So I literally flew in, went straight to Ross and bought like a cheap knife, went to Ikea, bought a bunch of plates and um, anything. I was building heaters. I built these like heaters out of stuff I got from Ikea. And I found a friend who had a rooftop that he was just, he felt for me and he was like, wanted to empower me and he was a new friend he barely knew me and he was like you can just use the roof like just invite me to the dinner but you can just use it without paying for it so I really came in and then I was in two of my friends kitchens just staying with them like cooking everything and then I had to go to a roof and build a bar and a kitchen to heat all this stuff up and serve it and educate people and I found a photographer who photographed vintage cars but i knew that the way that he photographed light he'd be able to get the sunset and all of the people on the roof the way the lighting was up there and he he has never photographed anything that wasn't cars and he did the best job on my photography but it was literally planning everything out so people showed up when the sun was setting so they're arriving on the roof they have all this beautiful pink la sunset setting around them they have a gorgeous succulent garden music playing they have a, a bunch of people they don't know around them but they were all the same age because the age meant that they would absorb cannabinoids the same time so they would all be on the same ride together mm -hmm. i thought of everything and so I bought everything and set it all up. And I literally, there were helicopters flying over and I was changing my clothes on the roof because I had no time. <laughs> so I was just doing everything. But it turned out to be like a really beautiful night, a really special night. And then I just kept doing that where it was like, 
I can't be in a house to teach people. I can't be in a regular venue that I would just rent to teach people about cannabis. They need to touch it, smell it, taste it, and then they'll understand it's an experience. It. Yeah. So I had to go into places that don't have a kitchen, that aren't set up to be a restaurant, and turn them into a restaurant. And I just have a skill set that I knew how to do that from years of owning restaurants and being a restaurateur. So now I can kind of, if they have an outlet and a sink, I can pretty much make it work. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I'm definitely down for one of those events. <laughs> Rhoda that's that's happen, great. Like, I yeah, and I feel like that's that is man. People it, are missing that connection too of of going out to those kind of functions and, and yeah. But I feel like people don't and, know until people know that this exists and it can exist wherever they are. It's just the well, fucking. It's beautiful. Like it's it's wonderful. I think, and even even if it's like an introduction for somebody who's new to it, God, that would be setting them up perfectly like a dream <laughs> every event someone brings their mom and it's really because they want their mom to not only have her questions answered but to like be able to see that it's a not a stoner party but is a stoner party like yeah. they don't all look the same they don't all look like hanging out in your aunt's basement that's fine too you know like some of it looks like a wedding though and that's how i wanted my stuff to be so that you're eating local food you are i mean the greenhouse event that i have pictures of all over my website the food was grown in that greenhouse and i worked with the farmer in that greenhouse for months so he was growing stuff specifically with terpenes that went along with the food for that meal and then the menu was a cootie catcher so you would like do the cootie catcher thing and fold it a bunch of ways and then open it up and that's oh the second course is this like it takes so much planning but it's like a wedding i've planned weddings before and i want people to have a celebration to their new relationship with cannabis because after they have a meal like that they have information that is making a new relationship for them with cannabis, even if they've smoked their whole life. So that's, it's unfortunate that so many people didn't know they could have that because it took a lot of convincing for people who love weed to understand you get to have beautiful parties for weed too. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's not it's, just black lights and trippy <laughs> posters on the wall and we're all in a room and it's all smoky and <laughs> yeah cannabis use looks like a lot of different things and i think people are slowly recognizing that that it's not exactly. just one yeah not just you know black and white there's all kinds of colors <laughs> all kinds. exactly well we should at least plan a virtual event with your kit that would that sounds like a lot yeah. of fun i would yeah, love to get do our that. but okay you're saying, okay, back to the edibles don't work for me. You're saying something about a one-on-one -on -one consult. What does that consist so of? So I, I have a couple of different programs that I do. I do one in Oregon that's the Healing Healers program that's um, for psychics and mediums where I help them figure out ways to 
work with their energy and use plant medicine to help them with that. And because it's based in Oregon, I can use psychedelics too and help them figure out a new way to connect with spirit. And then for regular people who just want to know about what's going to work for me, everything from CBD to THC, I pretty much look at what's like if they have a menu of a dispensary they go to, I will look over that menu and look at the way things are infused and help them kind of eliminate some of the things from it. Or I will tell them the best way to try things for themselves if they're wanting to slowly try edibles or try to work into edibles to a certain milligram. It really depends on each person though. Like some people who are trying edibles because they have IBS or because they have cancer shouldn't be eating super sugary edibles. That stuff feeds cancer and it's terrible for IBS. So it's really helping people make their own personal relationship. And that's my, it's counseling or coaching where I'm coaching people and helping them make a program and then touching base to see, okay, well, did that work for you? Let's try this, or maybe you should try this many milligrams and then we'll up this. And then we look at diet. And if the people have had a history of eating disorders, all of that stuff can really change how you digest cannabinoids. So I take all of that into consideration and help people figure out what works. Wow. So you mentioned psychedelics. So you work with like um, helping people figuring out how to like microdose and stuff like that. I'm really interested about the microdosing, but we can't do that here. But I'm like really interested in learning more about that because I've seen how a lot of people say that microdosing in very small amounts um, has helped them with a lot of uh, anxiety or stress and PTSD and things like that, depression. Yeah, I um, so. Florida specifically, like mushrooms you get in Florida grows out of cow dung. So it's a very different experience there. Here in Oregon, it literally, you could go on a hike and it's just because of the moisture in the air and the way the rocks are, stuff like that. You can find psilocybin just growing in the woods here. (laughs) You can just kind of find it. So um, it does like naturally grow here a little bit better. And I personally have worked with a couple of different cultivators all around the world. There are some in South America. There are some who work in labs in California. And then there are some who works in the cannabis industry and see that their psychedelics is the next big thing. So they've started to move into psychedelics and research and um, production and cultivation. So I work with people who again are paying so much attention to their craft and then for me I've used psychedelics for depression and PTSD for five years and I've literally changed my brain Um, there's a great Thrillist article that my friend Lauren wrote about me and how I treat people with plants and with psychedelics Um, but I really think that people can change their brains, but there's a series of factors. Like if you're on an SSRI, it's, you know, not something you should just dive into. You should really be more careful. So there's a lot of different things. And again, it's a personalized um, relationship. So there are some things I've had that I did not like, and it was mushrooms technically, but it wasn't a, a varietal that I liked or that my body liked, or it wasn't grown in conditions that my body liked. And so I'd have an adverse reaction to it. So it really depends on the person. There's um, some that I get from South America that's like 
literally treated by nuns in South America. And it's like very cared after. And then there's some stuff that I get from people who, again, like work in labs, cultivating the science behind it. And it's just a difference of who's taking it, what they're taking it for, and their routine with it is really important too. Like some people do daily, which I don't recommend. I think you need to do a three-day to 30-day cycle, which is um, a little bit more gentle, I feel like, on your psyche and your body. So it really depends on the person and what you're using it for. There are some people who have extreme trauma, and so I provide for the psychics and mediums that I work with, they're having to live in a plane where they're talking to spirit and then a plane where they're a mom or they're working a regular job or in their marriage. So they need to be present in two planes and psychedelics help them kind of thin the veil and be present on both planes a little bit easier in my experience. So that's why I work mostly with psychics and mediums and empaths because those are people who are just absorbing energy of all kinds of things around them and need to work on their barriers and their boundaries and um, when they're ready to be in touch with things and not just be at access all the time. When you work with so many of them, do they like, do they just like give you readings out of nowhere? Like they're like, Oh, somebody's telling me to tell you something like, does that ever happen if you work with so many of them? Not really so much because I feel like I put up a boundary, like a spiritual boundary, because I don't want it. It's like with a therapist, you don't ask your therapist, well, how are you doing? You know, like you kind of want someone who is just finally there for you at your service. So I try to be more of that with some of my clients I do trade. So if they're like, you know, financially having problems or it's a good like situation for us to trade um with most of them i'm like happy to trade because they're all so skilled but it it really depends on the person one um of my clients when i was still doing in home they came to my house and she was like there's a ghost of a cat here oh, a cat? <laughs> wow cat ghost like, really it's a brand new apartment <laughs> I mean, I guess a cat ghost isn't the worst kind of ghost to have, so. It, it seemed pretty okay, and then I figured out really quickly why it was there, where it had come from, and, like, like it was easy to just, like, be like, oh, I know what cat that is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how important do you think terpenes are? And can you give us, I mean, I know you can probably go on for days and days with terpenes because there's so many of them. What's kind of like just like a general information, something that you always tell people or something that we could take away about terpenes? Well, your body knows what you like. So like even before I used to buy stuff in a regulated legal market, I knew I liked stuff that smelled like gas or like lemon or like pine. That's all terpenes. I mean, that's really my body seeking out those certain smells because it knows that's what the cannabis is going to do for me. The terpenes do determine effect more than kind of anything else. The cannabinoids just ramp up the effect 
but the terpenes are what are determining what it's going to do for you. So um, I feel like the terpenes are important, but more importantly, just know what you like, like know what smells good to you. Like now I, I am a cannabis sommelier. I have gone into dispensaries and smelled their jars. I went into MedMen and I said, you have these three jars mixed up. And they were like, what are you talking about, lady? And I was like, this is this jar, this is this jar, and this is this jar, because these strains are not labeled properly. And they were like, okay. And then they went and checked the back, and somebody had put out those three jars in the wrong spots. And I was right, because I know by smell what something should smell like for effect. So if you have a strain and you're calling it tangy, it better smell like a tangerine, or else it's not tangy you're lying to me and I'm not going to get the same effects. Mm -hmm. So it's really terpenes are probably more important than the THC content, but the way that America is people want the Jaeger bomb of weed. So they're going to look at the THC content. Mm -hmm. So, um, but some people don't want to do a Jaeger bomb. They just like a cocktail because it's nice and it's, (laughs) it does them right. So it's really preference. Like, figuring out your preferences. And even on an unregulated illegal market, you can still have a preference of what you like. Even if you're not going to get it necessarily, you can say, well, I do like stuff that smells more like citrus. So I know that's going to be limonene, which limonene tends to be more of a sativa feel. It gets you more up and at them and it's more light in effect. So I'll know that I like that stuff that smells hoppy or grassy is probably going to be a little bit more sleepy because it's full of myrcene, which is the terpene, which is more for sleep. So there's benefits to almost all of them, but I think that preference is important because there's over, I think it's 120 terpenes. So really it's more about your personal preference. And I know I keep I feel like I keep saying that yeah, <laughs> through this, but it is so individualized for each person. Like, yes, we can all pass a joint and have a good time. But if you are looking for something to treat yourself the way your endocannabinoid system needs to be treated, then smell it because you, you'll notice you're, you'll start to like your mouth will water with some strains. Mm-hmm. Like now when I smell stuff like my mouth waters, that's literally my body reacting to the terpenes and saying, Ooh, I want that. Mm-hmm. Give me that. Mm-hmm. So pay attention to how your body reacts when you smell the weed. And then you'll kind of know, I like stuff that smells citrusy. So I'll probably like something that has a citrus name. So maybe I'll like a clementine strain or a tangerine or tangy strain. Then you can kind of seek that stuff out a little bit more. Even if it is just your dealer and not in a dispensary, you still can tell your guy like, hey, I like the stuff that's fruitier smelling. This smells more like citrus. Mm-hmm. And then they'll kind of keep an eye out for you if you have a good dealer. <laughs> so yeah. like the terpenes are important, um, especially if you're smelling stuff and it smells fresh. Like if you have a lot of terpenes, then it probably means you're going to have a better effect than just something that's filled with cannabinoids and no smell. One of my favorite strains, though, is from Florida. Sorry. Ooh, our ears Ooh, are perking up. <laughs> hybridized in Florida. And um, I'm actually going to start doing some videos called uh, the 
educated hypothesis of some of these strains, but there's a strain, the white, that comes from Florida. It's been hybridized to basically have no terpenes, no smell, because they would grow it in like closets and stuff illegally and they want no one to find it so they hybridized it so there's almost no smell but when you look at it it's white because it's covered in trichomes so it usually gets a really high thc level but almost no smell to it but at its root it's a durban poison cross so it does have some terpenoline in it so you can kind of smell it if it's hybridized the right way and cultivated properly you could smell like a little bit of gas on the back end of it but it's it's usually covered in frosted with trichomes oh and gets around 32 to 33 percent thc Whoa. so it's like you should it's a great strain but it'll be labeled as an indica it'll be labeled yeah as but you you know what i i pay special. i pay attention to your tiktok and i remember you said you used it because it's a good strain for creativity and you were making a thing and I was like, I kept, it's funny because it kept ringing in my head. I'm like, Durban poison. God, I wish. And every, I look it's everywhere and I cannot. It's, so Durban poison have is a like land race strain. Here. So people will have it, but usually they're only cultivating it in the time of year that it's, it, we call it croptober is like the end of the season. So October is when you'll see anything that's growing outside cultivated like taken in chopped down and then it's going to get uh cured so anything that's outdoor you're pretty much looking at october november and durban poison is one of those that grows better outdoor because it's a land race um and it'll be labeled as a sativa but it usually has a lower thc on it um i think it usually hits around 14 to 15 percent so um You'll see it around once you have it in your head, but you'll probably see it more like around October, November. You might be able to find it this time of year in some places, but it also depends on the selection and where you're getting it from. But it's one that's not like um, generally stuck to a region. People will pretty much have it everywhere. Like you'll see it when you go to Amsterdam, you'll see it when you go to Oregon. So it's, it's one that's around. Just keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I'm definitely keeping an eye out for it. So if anybody <laughs> locally... Every time I've seen Durban Poison, it's only been like in a cart, not the actual flower. Um, I see it in a cart a lot, yeah. too, and which is surprising to me because it usually gets a low THC. So it's like, mm-hmm. do people like it in a cartridge? It's a different effect. Yeah. I'm not a big... We're what, not big cartridge but, fans. And one more thing about terpenes. What's a good resource other than your nose? Because unfortunately here in Florida, we can't smell our products. Yeah, but I think because of COVID too, is it everywhere now? No, no, no. Some states allow you to smell it. Some states don't. We're medical, so everything has to be sealed and in package. So you're not able to smell it. um, They have the jar and then they have like a little air gun that like blows the air at you. (laughs) So you can kind of smell it like... <laughs> so, so you get funny. to kind of smell it. Little gun. So, like, I've been wondering, like, what the terpene profile is for some of my favorite strains, and I've been trying to like look on Leafly to see if it says anything there, but I can't find the hybrids, right? Yeah, I can't. It yeah, say everything so. pretty much is hybridized unless it's a land race, so you'll see more hybrids around. But um, 
you because you're buying on the medical market, you should be able to ask for the test results from your dispensary and just say, hey, do you have test results available online? Or like, does this grow have test results available so I can see um, if they're testing for terpenes? The thing about newer markets, which people don't really take into consideration, is these markets are catering to the consumer. So if you don't ask the dispensary for something, they don't know you want it necessarily. Mm -hmm. And something like test results, like I want edibles or I want concentrates, like that has to do with the law. They can't really do much about that if it's not available legally where you are. But test results, they pretty much have to have for anything to be sold. So they should have those on hand for you. They might not test for terpenes. That could be a problem with that dispensary or grow or the way that they're doing things. But if you're asking for it, they will probably accommodate you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they usually only label this, the THC and the CBD content. The only dispensary down here that I've seen actually put the terpene percentages on their labeling was is Rise. But you know what? It, the True Leaf has a scan, one of those. The QR mm-hmm. code? Yeah, one of those QR codes. Okay, so I after this, scan that let's and that scan it and let's up. see if it gives yeah, for me sure. the protein. We'll yeah, because a lot of the places will be, they can't really put it on the side of the package because it's like, Too it much. really is a long yeah. sheet of just information. So some of them you have to ask. Some of them, though, have it right. I mean, you'll I see it in CBD all the time, too, is like people will have the test results available on the site. You just have to look for it. It'll be yeah. in there like FAQs or in like the About Us or something like that. So you might have to look a little bit more for it. But you can also usually just ask like, hey, I'm finding out more about terpenes. You know, I love shopping here. Y'all seem really smart. So could you point me to the test results of this flower so I can see if they test for terpenes or do you know? A lot of bud tenders, too, like to talk about that nerdy shit with people because they have to learn it, but then people don't know anything about it. So they never. So ask. sometimes <laughs> the bud tender is, like, excited. Like, because I go into a dispensary, and this is how I order. I want something that's terpenoline rich, that's around 20% THC, that's preferably grown by these five farms, and what do you have? And then they'll tell me, like, what they have available. But I some people like don't you. know how to answer that. <laughs> I want to be <laughs> like, like I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't think people are that advanced here, Liv. I don't we don't think have that, got that yet. those options, like that that array of but availability it here takes for people. people asking. Like, they yeah. weren't like that here for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. I was, but then I got nominated Best Bud Tender in Oregon. And we have more dispensaries here than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. Oh, so my God. All right. And that was our interview and conversation with uh, Liv Vasquez. You can find her at Livy Smalls on all social medias or her website, LivySmalls.com. That was really great. I hope we get to, I mean, eventually we want to meet we everybody. Do we one of her ambitious. virtual events with her little kit with our peoples. Yeah. I think that would be fun. Yeah, that would be super fun. Yeah. Even it's intimate. Maybe like with just our patrons. Yeah, with our with patrons. Our patrons. Yeah. And and maybe that's something we can get them too. A class with us with her. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. And it's a great experience. I mean, I felt so I don't know, I just like she has so much information with uh, the whole conversation we had with terpenes. Mm-hmm. I can't stop smelling my weed. <laughs> 
I wish we could, you know, I wish we had, we could smell it before we buy it like they can over there. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we'll be there. We'll get there. I know. Eventually we'll that get won't back happen to until recreational is passed. Yeah. And until all this, you know, uh, Corona time stuff is over. True. But thank you so much for listening to us. And this is our season finale. We're going to be on break for a while. We're going to return the first week of February. Um, but we are going to keep bringing you fun videos, fun game show. Yeah, we have a game show we're working on. Do you want to announce the name? Yeah. We're, our, the new game show is going to be called The High Five. And who was it that gave her that suggestion? Mama was Wasabi. Mommy Wasabi. Yeah, yeah, Hannah. She gave us that suggestion. Yes. So thank you I, for that one. We loved we it. We loved it. Yeah. Someone had actually come up with another good one recently. The Ganja... The ganja, ganja game. game. The, ganja the ganja game. game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But the high five and we're, you know, planning out the format and um and all that. But it's going to be lots of fun. And you guys are going to get a chance to be contestants on the show. And we'll have a few fun stoner. What do we call stoner celebrities? What are we calling all of our stoner? I don't stoner know. guest judges. Stoner. Probably other 420 creator, other creators. creators. Um, people we know from TikTok. We've yeah. already asked one friend of ours and he said he'd be game. Yeah. We got a couple a couple people down. Down to clown on the high five. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for hanging in and uh, listening Merry to Christmas. us. Merry Happy Christmas. Happy New Year. We hope you guys have a wonderful holidays. Um, keep it safe, and we'll catch you guys around. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays. <laughs> I want to sing some Christmas carols. <laughs> We're going to go caroling now. <laughs> <laughs>